pray. I shared it with the elders and I asked them to pray. And I, I said, Lord, I want to know how to do it. I want to, what do you want to do? And we have a, a time on Tuesday morning when the staff comes in here and prays. And I was sitting in my seat over there just being quiet, which is what one of the things God's been teaching me how to do. And, uh, and I just, all of a sudden I saw what to do. And that's this pattern that we're going to do of, of from sunup to sundown, six to six, uh, Monday through, f- through, um, Friday. And the reason for that is, is, and I'll get into this a little bit in a few minutes, is that uh, most of us aren't used to this, and this is something that's doable. Whereas if we did a full three-day fast or a full fast for everybody, that's a little more challenging for many of us. And I really felt the Lord saying, I want to start with something that's doable. So we've, we've called a, a fast. I want to talk about why we call a fast today. Um, but it's something that we need to do now. I really have a sense in my spirit it's important for many of us personally to do this for our own walk with God, but also as a church, because we're facing, we're living, in case you haven't realized, we're living in a dangerous world. We're not living in the world that I grew up in. We're not living in the world my children grew up in. We're not living in the world that was out there 10 or 15 years ago. Things are changing very quickly, and they're not changing for the good. We're living in a world where there's spiritual forces going on and there, things are being spiritually positioned for the final climax. And if you understand biblical prophecy at all, you can understand the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world. And he is beginning to, to put things in place. He's been doing it for a long time now, but it's becoming more and more clear to anyone that has a, any kind of understanding of biblical prophecy. You can see the moves that are taking place. And we'll talk about some of those as we get further into this year. But in order to be prepared for that, biblically speaking, what's often done is a fast is called. And we're going to talk about why to fast, how to fast, and what it's all about. Let's start out by talking about what a fast is. This is going to be really exciting today. But it's important to understand. First of all, it's, it's something we all should be doing. We all should be doing. And a church should be doing it. And we should be doing it on a regular basis. The word fast literally means to turn your plate over. (laughs) That picture should have been with a plate upside down, but we couldn't find one. It's to turn your plate over. It's to to not eat for a period of time. And the the typical biblical fast was to not eat anything or drink anything other than water. So it's literally turning your plate upside down. But there are different types of fasts. The Bible talks about a full fast where you don't eat or drink anything for a period of time, only water. There are some extreme fasts. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Once He was filled with the Spirit, the very first thing the Holy Spirit did was lead Him into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. And I don't have time to go into why that, but He was fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat food. He did not drink anything. Now to do that, you have got to be sustained by the presence of God. Moses was on a mountain 40 days and 40 nights, did not eat food, did not drink anything. He was sustained by the power and life of God. So unless the presence of God is sustaining you, I do not encourage you to do a 40-day fast where you don't eat or drink anything because you'll die. Okay, I don't even encourage you to do a 40-day fast unless you know God has called you. That's extreme. You don't find those long fasts very often in the Bible. But there are periods of fasting. Paul fasted for periods of time and for different reasons. And then there's a partial fast. There's what's often called the Daniel fast, which refers to Daniel when he was seeking God. God didn't tell him to do this. He did it because it was going to help him hear from God. Israel was in a place of exile, and Daniel was one of their leaders for exile, and the prophecy had been given to Daniel that it would be 70 years, but it was getting well into this, and he was wondering, was, did I hear correctly? Is this what you're telling us to do? And so Daniel went on a fast where he sought God, and he, just, he chose to not eat meat. He chose to only eat vegetables, to not drink anything other than water, and he did that for 21 days. At the end of that 21 days, an angel appears to him. And, and it was, we'll explain to, the, 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 the fast did not make the angel come because the angel said, I was dispatched from heaven when you first prayed. But what the fasting did was help him hear what the angel was going to say to him. And we'll talk about that purpose. So there's a fast where you just don't eat certain foods. Uh, it can be giving up particular foods. 
Um, but the best fasts have something to do with food, giving up food. And I'll explain to you why. You can fast other things. You can fast TV. You can fast... And, and as I shared with you, it's whatever the Lord lays on your heart, but it shouldn't be to fast something like bubblegum, you know, or I'm going to fast my Twinkies for a week. It really should be something that you know that has a hold over you that you need to break the hold over. And as we go through this teaching this morning, I believe you'll see why. You can give up anything that really is interfering with your communion and your time with God. And as we understand today, as we go through this and understand the purpose for fasting, I think what you need to do will become more clear. Well, we talk a little bit about what a fast is. I want to talk about what a fast is not, because that's very often where people get hung up with. Jesus talked about fasting. In His Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, we see Him addressing it. And it's in a series of things that He is addressing the Pharisees about that they're doing, but they're doing wrong. They're not doing it correctly. So Matthew chapter 6, He now addresses, He's talked about prayer, He's talked about how, how when, you know, we are to pray. The disciples asked him how to pray, and he said, and he gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And he said, do not, you know, do not pray vain, which means meaning empty, meaningless prayers and, and, and repetitious prayers. So what we've done is we've taken the Lord's Prayer and turned it into a vain, repetitious prayer. But what he's talking about here is this, the, the heart with which we pray. He said, this is the heart you're to have. Don't you know your father already knows what you're going to ask before you ask? So your asking is not to motivate him to answer you. He already wants to answer you. And you're not to pray and, and to be seen by people of how spiritual you are in your prayers. Because the, the, what we do in our relationship with God can very easily be turned into legalistic, prideful religious activity. And I'll explain that in a minute. So it's in this context where Jesus is talking about prayer, He's talking about giving, He also talks about fasting. And He says this, Matthew chapter 6, you can put that up there. He says, when you fast, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. Now, that word hypocrite in Greek means... It's a word we get plastic from. It's plastika. So what is plastic? A plastic bumper? <laughs> I remember when our, one of our sons was given a car, and it was a, it was a, a rambler. No one even know what a rambler is. It's a, a rambler. And I went out to them, and I said, I want you to show you something. And I went to the side of the car, and I, I, I knocked on it. I said, that's what metal sounds like. <laughs> Because cars today are not made with real metal. There's a lot of things that are... So what does plastic do? Plastic looks like it's something, but it really isn't it. So a hypocrite is someone who's going to act outwardly like they're somewhere, but inside they're not metal. They're not, there's no substance to it. He said, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, and they disfigure their faces. In other words, I think it's the, the, New, the New Living Translation says, they dishevel themselves. Why? They disfigure the face that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Stay there a second. What he's saying is when you fast, not whether you fast, when you fast, it's not to appear to other people that you're fasting. Because we do that to say how spiritual Pastor John is or how spiritual I am because I'm doing this fast for God. And he says, that's your reward. <laughs> that's it. That's all you're going to get out of it. Assuredly, I say, they have their reward. Verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. It's hard for us. It's basically comb your hair, put your makeup on, girls. <laughs> Shave, guys, okay? Dress up so that nobody can tell that you're fasting. And don't walk around with this long face. Oh. <laughs> and you go to work and they say, what's the matter with... Oh. We're fasting at our church this week. I'm fasting. You're trying to get attention. And that's all you're going to get then. But your Father who sees in the secret place, your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, we're going to talk in a few minutes. We don't fast to get a reward, but God will respond to that in your heart. So what's He talking about here? What He's talking about is it's your motive that counts. 
Your motive for fasting is what's important. So Jesus is dealing with motive for prayer, motive for our giving, and motive for our fasting. So when we're talking about what fasting is not, it's not with the wrong motive. It's not, it's not doing something. See, when we do something outwardly to show how spiritual we are, that's religious. When, we, when we're doing something, anything, listen carefully, this is so good. When you're doing anything, anything spiritual that's designed to benefit you, that's religious. That's a religious exercise and it doesn't do anything with God. Fasting is not, we're going through what it's not, it's not a hunger strike. Hunger strike, sometimes people on, a, on, a, you know, on some kind of a mission, they want to get a statement across, they just won't eat. And what they're trying to do is draw attention to their cause by not eating. God's not impressed with your hunger strike. He can outlast you. <laughs> hunger strike is trying to get God to do something because you're fasting. And fasting is not to get God to do anything. Fasting is not to get God to do anything. I think I need to say that again. Because this is important. Because somehow in our, in our, the way we're, it's ingrained in our thinking is that what, if I do the right thing, then God's going to do this. If I put the right coin in, then the right candy bar is going to come out. If I make the right order at the first window, when I get to the second window at McDonald's, they'll give me what I want. If I do what I'm supposed to do, God's going to honor that. He's going to reward me by doing something back for me. That's the law. It's based on what I do, not what God's done. And here's the statement I'm going to make to you. This may shock some of you. God, you cannot get God to do anything. He's already done everything He's ever going to do. I'll say that over here. God has already, in Christ Jesus, God has already done everything He's ever going to do. Say, well, where is it? Because we've got to get in a place to receive it. James chapter 1, he talks about asking for wisdom and then he broadens the discussion. He says, he says, whatever you do, you must ask in faith, nothing doubting. Nothing doubting. He talks about what it is when we doubt. He said, For let not that man who doubts think he will receive anything from the Lord. It doesn't say, Let that man who doubts, God won't give him what he asked. He says, You can't receive from God if you're doubting. You can't receive from God. And this problem we have is that God has been trying to answer many of our prayers. He's been trying to give many of you wisdom and direction. He's trying wants to do some things in this church, but we've not been able to hear because our ears are stopped up. Our spiritual ears are stopped up. Jesus talks to people and says, you become dull of hearing. They weren't bad people. They were dull of hearing. Spiritual things spiritually dull of hearing. So it's not a hunger strike. It does not impress God. He's not going to say, whoa, faith Christian center as fasting on that week before Easter. Wow, look at that. But it will affect us. It's not a diet. <laughs> you may lose a little weight, probably not on this kind of fast, but it's not a diet. It's not our, our motive is not to lose weight. The fundamental purpose of fasting is to remove distractions from our life so that we can focus on God. If you're not doing this to focus on God, you're doing it to focus on yourself. The fundamental purpose of fasting is to remove the distractions of our life, and we'll talk about some of those, so that we can focus on God and become God-centered. We ought to be able to do that for at least five days. I want to talk to you about legalism because it's very easy to become legalistic about this. Let's see, 6 o'clock, I can eat right up till 6 o'clock in the morning, but when that, when that second hand hits 6, I can't eat anymore. And we become very focused on what we do, or do, can or cannot do. That's legalism. So you'll come, and I've done this, you come to the end of the time, fasting time, and says, I did it, I got that over with. You won't get anything out of it. If you go into this, all right, I've got to do this, and I come to the end of it, I did it, I can check it off. I'm one of the ones that completed the fast. That's all you're going to get out of it. It's not legalistic. It's not legalistic. God's not legalistic. 
And it's very easy to turn a fast into a legal exercise. The Pharisees are a perfect example. They became very proud. Jesus said to them, you, you tithe, mount, you tithe, he said basically herbs, you tithe uh, cumin and you tithe other herbs, thyme. In other words, when they, their garden would grow an herb, they would take one-tenth of the herb and put it into the, into the, into the temple. They were very precise and very legalistic about it, but their heart was way away from God. They were full of pride. They were full of arrogance. They were full of all kinds of inner attitudes that God, Jesus was trying to get through to them. They didn't care about people. They didn't have God's heart towards people. That's, they're the only people Jesus was mad at. He was mad at them because their religious pride and their religious stubbornness was keeping the people they were leading from making a connection with God. And he was mad about that because they were keeping God's people from him. And so, but, but they justified themselves. They thought they were so spiritual because they were doing everything outwardly perfectly, but inwardly it was producing no effect. So it's very easy to focus on what do I can, what can I eat, what can I eat. It's the spirit of it. That you're giving something up so that you're in a better position to hear God and you're going to seek Him with it. Okay. Legalism says, I've earned something from God or I'm proving something about myself. I'm proving I can do this. I'm proving this to myself. I'm proving this to Pastor John. I'm proving this to my family. That's legalism. It's when I take something that's helping me to get close to God and using it for something about myself. That's what legalism. The next thing I want to address is, are we commanded to fast? Because some people will say, well, the Bible doesn't command us to fast. You know what? You're right. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say you are commanded to fast. However, there's a very clear indication. Put Matthew 6 back up there again, if you can do that. Moreover, if you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. Oh, is that not what it says? If you fast, it says what? When you fast. When implies that he's assuming we will fast. And then he talks about the attitude when you do it, not whether you do it. So Jesus is assuming that we're going to fast. And again, as I said in the beginning, I don't like this. <laughs> but as I got studying it again, as I've done in the past, I've got a desire in me to do this now that I didn't have when we first scheduled this. When you fast. Notice, he's, this again is in a context where Jesus is talking about prayer. He's talking about giving. So are we commanded to pray? No, but we should pray. Are we commanded to give? No, but we should give. So it's part of being a healthy spiritual life. Okay, now go to Matthew chapter 9. This is even more like it. A controversy had come up because the, the, the people had come to Jesus was, was complaining because John the Baptist, remember him, he, he wore rough clothes and ate locusts and wild, locusts and wild honey. Locust wasn't bugs, it was a kind of carob. Uh, it, was, it was a chocolate uh, type of thing. Exciting, isn't it? Uh, it's a chocolate fast. How many want to go on a chocolate fast? You, you're going to eat chocolate and that's it. Okay, no, we're not going to go there. Uh, and, and so his disciples were living in a very stringent lifestyle. And, and Jesus, is, Jesus was, was, his disciples were having feasts with him and with the, with the sinners. And, and so people came to him and said, you know, how come John the Baptist, his disciples are fasting and yours aren't? And the disciples came to him and said, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? Here's Jesus' answer. Jesus said to them, can the friends of a bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. What in the world is that all about? What about the bridegroom coming? He's referring to himself. As we're going to see when we get into it, one of the main purposes of fasting is so we can hear him more clearly, so we can see him more clearly. And what Jesus is saying is the purpose of fasting is so that you can see and hear from God more clearly. But God's here with you. While I'm physically here, you can hear my voice. You can touch me. You don't need to fast to hear, to sense my presence. You just have to open your eyes and see me. But when I leave, you're going to have to go back and use those devices that will help you do it. So Jesus is saying this season when he said you don't need to fast was while he was physically on the earth for three and a half years. 
but he's not physically here yet. When he comes back again, we won't need to fast. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that right now we see him through a glass dimly. You ever, you ever you know, get out of your shower and the mirror's all fogged over? Man, and you try to shave, it's like, it's dangerous. It's a good thing they have these safety razors now. You know, we used to have these blade razors. My goodness, that could be dangerous. Because you can't, you know, you know there's an image looking there, but you can't see clearly. That's where we are. Spiritually, we can't see things clearly. But he says, what, when he was here walking among us, he said, you didn't need to fast because I was right here. You could hear my voice. Understand what I'm saying? Okay, all right. So the implication then is when he's not here, we need to fast if we want to see him and hear him. Okay, now I want to begin to go into why, what fasting is intended to do. And we, to do this, we've got to give a little practical, uh, a practical, step back a little bit in some practical teaching. The Bible teaches us, and I know there are many people out there that think this is wrong, but they, they're entitled to their opinion, um, is that you're made up of three parts. Spirit, soul, and body. You understand there's two realms of existence. There's this physical, natural, material realm, which is the, when, when God said in the when Bible, said, Genesis says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's when He created this material realm, this physical realm. You can tell what's in the physical realm because you can detect it with one or more of your physical senses. So if you can feel it, see it, taste it, or hear it, then you... There's one I'm missing. Smell it. Um, then you know it's of this material realm. Your body is made of this material realm. God formed man out of the dust of the earth. He's for- and woman was formed out of his dust. And so our bodies come from this material substance, which is why when we're done with it, it goes back into dust until it's raised from the dead. And so, so your body comes from the material substance of this earth. But you're not your body. That's one of the big lessons of fasting, is discover you're not your body. You are a spirit being. God is a spirit. John 4, 24, John is a spirit, and everyone who worships Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. God is a spirit. When you are born, the real essence of who you are is a spirit being. That spirit being is going to go to join Him in heaven, or if you're not born again, it's going to go to hell and join the rest of the devils down there in hell. But your spirit being will live forever. It's either living forever in, with God or it's living forever separated from God. So I want you to... Can you put that first slide up that I gave you? I know it takes a minute to transfer it over. This is a slide... Not that's not it. This is a slide out of the series I taught on renewing the mind. But it's in a section of the teaching where I talk about... Yeah, that's great. Talk about the, the parts of man. On the left is refers to the spirit. And that comes from the spirit realm. That's God's presence in you. That's your real nature. And that's eternal. But your spirit's living in a body. That's your physical body. That's the part of you that smells, hears, that can, can smell, may smell too, can, that smells, hears, tastes, touches, and whatever the other one is. Okay? So that's your flesh. It's the container for you. It's your house that you live in. You have to have one of those to live here. This is why the devil, tries to, the devil tries to inhabit physical bodies because the only way you can operate in this realm is with a physical body. That's why when Jesus was going to cast those thousand demons out of that man in Gadara, they pled to go into the, into the pigs because they wanted to be, in, have to be in some kind of body. And so your spirit lives in a body. God wants to influence you through your body and the devil wants to influence you through your body. Okay, but as you see there, there's no communication between the two. Okay, you can go to the next one. See, your spirit's trying to talk to your body. God, your spirit, if you're born again, is in perfect union with God. Your spirit hears perfectly from God. I don't have time to go through the scriptures. But God's designed a communication system that's perfect. Not only has He given you a spirit that's in communion with Him, but God's put His spirit in you to help and assist. And I don't have time to go through the scriptures that do that. But here's the problem. Your body cannot detect your spirit. Because these two realms cannot naturally detect each other. This room right now is filled with angels. But you don't know they're here except by faith. Because you can't see them. You can't touch them. There may be one behind me right now. Shh. I'm going to catch him, okay? 
I might have caught him, I might not, because I can't touch him, and he can't touch me. So your spirit in you cannot communicate directly with your body. Now hit the next one. Neither can your body communicate directly with your spirit. So God's given you a third part of you. The next slide. Your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's your personality. It's the part of you you're conscious of, the part of other people you're conscious of. And God's given you a soul, and it is the bridge between your spirit and your body. So it's made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. All of those are either affecting your spirit or they're affecting your body. And God wants to speak to you. God wants to reveal Himself to you. And He does it through your spirit. But it's got to go through your soul to understand it and interpret it so that it can move your body. So if God wants to tell you, look, I'd like you tomorrow, I'd like you to bake a cake and take it over to that nasty neighbor of yours. All right? Your spirit's going to sense that. But your spirit's got to, can't tell your body to go do anything. It's got to go through your mind. It's got to go through your will. And it has to deal with your emotions. I don't like that person. Why would I want to go do that? Do you know what they did to me? And your will will decide whether what your spirit's telling you to do, your body will carry out. Everybody follow me so far? Okay. So there's a battle that goes on. There's some good books out there. Joyce Myers has a very famous book, The Battlefield of the Mind. And that's true. The battlefield is the mind, but the battle's not for the mind. The battle's for your will. Because you will not go anywhere. Your will does not determine to go. God is trying to influence your will. We've seen scriptures for that when we went through this series we just went through. God is at work in you. God is at work in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. Look at this. God is at work. God's in your spirit at work in you to get your will in your soul to cause your body to carry out His will. God may be at work in you to open your mouth and share your testimony with somebody at work. And that's what's going on inside of you down here. But it can't get to your body to do it. It's got to go through your mind, your will, and your emotions before your will will carry it out. So what happens in our soul is absolutely critical to whether God can do in you and through you what He wants to do. So there's a battle going on in your soul, which one you're going to listen to. Because notice the arrows go both ways. Your body's trying to influence your soul, what it wants to do, and your spirit's trying to influence your soul, what God wants you to do. Ron, would you come up here a minute? Just stand up on the upper stage. I don't need to help you up because you're good at that. Okay. I'll leave Richard alone. I use him a lot. Nick, would you come on up? Okay. Let's see. Who else do I want to pick? Pastor Ray. Actually, no, I don't need you. Okay. Okay. Let me have Nick over here. Nope, nope, that's right. Okay. Sorry about this. Nick is Nick is Nick is my spirit. Okay. Ron's my soul, my mind, will, and my emotions. I'm my flesh. So, every day, God through my spirit is trying to tell my soul what my body should be doing. So turn and look at him. No, no, no. You turn and talk, face him and start talking to him. Okay, tell him what he's supposed to do. 
hey, hey, pay attention to me. Oh, oh. I'm hungry. Oh. Oh. You haven't fed me. It's been five hours since yeah, I went yeah. to bed. Yeah, I haven't eaten for a while. Yeah, You're thinking of not eating? I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'll never, I can't serve God if I'm dead. Now notice who he's looking at. This is God speaking to him. He has things he needs to know what to do that are going to come up today. And notice he was speaking with a soft voice. Because the Spirit of God speaks with a soft, gentle voice. And every answer he needs is right here. It's not up in heaven to call down. It's right. Yeah, that's right. It's right here. But I'm like, this flesh is like a little child. No, no, I want attention. I'm used, I'm used to I'm used to being in control here. I know you, Sunday you can listen to him. Okay, but Monday through Friday you're mine. Okay, I, I'm hungry. Brother, how are you going to pay those bills? How, how are you going to pay those bills? You better hold on to what you got because you might lose what you have. You see what goes on? Our bodies are so loud and so noisy that we're so accustomed to hearing them, we don't realize that God's in us speaking to us. And then we'll hear something. We need to hear from God because we're not used to listening to developing ears. Thank you, my soul. You did a good job. My spirit, you're always welcome. You can leave that up for now, for right now. When we get into a scripture, you can put it down. And here's what I want you to see. You're not your body. We think we are because we spend so much of our time taking care of it, paying attention to it. And there are things we need to do. It does need to eat. It does need sleep. It does need some paint every once in a while. It does need to have our hair straightened up a little bit. It, you know, Pastor Sam used to say, it, I won't go there. <laughs> We do need to pay some attention to it, but it rules us because it wants to. It's still part of our fallen nature. Okay, I'm going to put a scripture up so you can change over because I know you've got to change back. You are your spirit, not your body. The part of you that was born again is your spirit. The part of you that God changed when you came to Christ was your spirit. And Romans 12 tells us what to do. It says, therefore present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable service to Him. The Bible says, your body is not your own, it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is the temple of God. Your body does not belong to you if you're a Christian. It belongs to God. But your body doesn't like that. It's fallen. Verse 2 of Romans 12 says, Therefore, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we have the responsibility to be in control of our body and to renew our soul so that it cooperates with our spirit, not our body. Galatians chapter 5. Now Galatians all, talks all about the freedom we have in Christ. That we've been freed from the bondage of the law. Free from the bondage of our flesh controlling us. Free from this bondage. But then now that there's a freedom, we have a responsibility. Just because we're set free doesn't mean we can just go off and do what we want. As a child grows and matures and becomes a teenager and they have more and more freedom, that doesn't mean they have less responsibility. They've got more responsibility because the more freedom you have, the more responsibility you have to exercise that freedom in a godly way. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. Stay there a second. So many of us, struggle with our flesh, trying to put our flesh down, trying to be in control of our flesh by our own effort. And if, we, I, I should, if I still had them up here, I could show you. What we try to do is we try to get our flesh to help us control our flesh. 
It doesn't want to do that. <laughs> it's not going to turn itself in. But when we walk in the Spirit, that means more conscious of the Spirit man that's in us than we are of our flesh, then we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's like pulling the plug. It's like putting a fire out. If you take away the three elements, any one of the three elements that takes a burn, for something to burn, it takes fuel, it takes heat, and it takes oxygen. So if you take away the oxygen, you have the heat and the fuel, but it's going to go out because it needs oxygen. If you take away any one of those three, a fire will go out. If you take away the control of your flesh, it will stop wanting to do. You, you're amazing what your, how your flesh can get under control. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he told his disciples to wait and watch and pray. And he went in and he prayed three times, according to Matthew's gospel, three times, struggling with this battle of his own issues of going to the cross and what that was going to mean. And he came back and they were sleeping. So that's encouraging to me if the disciples fell asleep praying. Sometimes we do that too. But he woke them up. He said, can't you watch with me one hour? I mean, this is the crucial point of my life and ministry. I need you to watch with me at least an hour. And he says, for the flesh is will, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I read that one day, I was, you know, that's good news. It's good news my flesh is weak. Because that means I can control it. If my flesh were strong, as strong as my spirit man, then I would be in trouble. So he said, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of your flesh. Verse 17. This is it. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. We had Nick up here as my spirit and I was up here as my flesh and we were pulling it at Ron who was my soul. So there's a battle going on inside of you. Your spirit, your, your flesh is lusting again. It wants to be in control. The battle is who's going to control your soul? Who's going to control your will? Who's going to win? Because you will not go anywhere without your will. I've shared this many times before. When I was in this, this, the high school I was in, was a private school in my last two years, and, and, and they did not have a, a PE system, uh, but they had a, so you had everybody, everybody had to sign up for a sport. So my, my winter sport was basketball. I loved basketball, but I was not talented at all. I wasn't tall enough, fat enough, fa what's that? I was not tall enough, fast enough, coordinated enough. So they assigned me the job of manager. Now in baseball, the manager's the guy in charge. In basketball, the manager's the guy that picks up the dirty towels and hands the talented people water bottles. That was my job. So I was attending practices with them so I could pick up their dirty towels. Maybe that was preparing me for a pastor. I don't know. <laughs> and and um, I just never thought of that before. And I remember, I'll never forget, if it will hold, my whole high school experience was for this one lesson. There was one lesson where our coach was teaching them defense. defense. And those of you that are basketball fans will understand some of this. And he's saying, you're a defender and you've got somebody, in fact, let me take, um, Ron, come back up again. You did such a good job as my soul. Okay? I'm, I'm, we're not going to go up there. So, yeah, you're, you're, you're the basketball guy. Okay, okay, now, now he's going to try to get by me, okay? Now, look, now what he's going to do is, if he's, if he's really good, he's going to look here when he's going to go there. He's going to take the basketball and fake this way when he's going to... He can even take his foot and go this way and then turn. So the manager was saying, when you've got a defend, a, 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 an offensive player coming at you, don't look at their eyes, don't look at their head... Don't look at their hands. Don't look at their feet. Look where? Right in the middle. The center of gravity. Because you can throw your head that way, your hands this way, your feet this way, but you won't go anywhere without putting that middle first. Thank you. That's too good. You could do a good job today. <laughs> your center, you cannot go anywhere without your center of gravity. And life is like that. We kind of fake we're going over here with our... I'm going to... Lord, I, I love you. I surrender all. I surrender all. And so with my eyes, I'm surrendering to Him. With my hands, I'm surrendering to Him. But my will is still, I want to do what I want to do. And I'm not going to do anything until I decide I'm going to do it. 
And so the battle is after this will, what I'm going to do. And that's what Satan was after in the garden, and that's what's caused the fall. They surrendered to pull their will away from God, and thinking they were taking their will in their own hands, they surrendered their will to Satan. That's why Jesus told the Pharisees, your, your father is the devil. He's your God. Why? Because you're... Ser- See, you can't, you can't serve yourself. I didn't plan to go in this direction. You can't serve yourself. If you think you're serving yourself, you're serving the devil. Because you know if you're serving God. You're serving somebody other than you. If you think you're serving yourself, you're deceived. That went over about as big as fasting. Okay. Okay. So your flesh is... There's a battle going on between your flesh and your spirit, and they're fighting through your soul to, for your will. Look at this. So the flesh, lust against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, these things are contrary or opposed to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish, so that you do not carry out what your flesh wants you to do. Next verse. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I've already quoted Romans 12.1. Therefore present your bodies a living sacrifice. He says, I entreat you by the mercies of God. He just spent 11 chapters describing what God's done for us. And he says, based on this incredible mercy God's had on us, I entreat you to present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. It's to serve Him. Okay. All right. Uncontrolled, your body is like a spoiled child. Uncontrolled, your body is like a spoiled child. And the longer it's been in control the more spoiled it is and the more it's used to being in control and the more it will squawk and fight when you decide to exert authority over your flesh. It will lie to you. That's what part of what I was doing with Ron up there. It'll tell you that if you fast, if you don't eat, you're going to die. Most of us have plenty of reserve. I'm tell, it'll tell you, you're going to die. When I, when I when I started getting up early to pray, when I was practicing law, I had a long drive to work. I'd be up at five in the morning, and I'd get up, the alarm would go off, I'd get up, and I, my, my first thoughts in my mind is, is you know, you're going to die, you need to sleep, you'll die. You won't be able to function at work if you don't have this extra hour of sleep. But I got up anyway, and it would tell me, well, it's going to be wasted, because you're going to go down there and you're going to fall asleep. So you might as well stay in bed. Oh, you know what, John? You can pray in bed. It's nice and warm here. Your wife is next to you. The electric blanket's on. Just stay in bed and pray. But I learned what that trick was. But see, it's going through a flip chart to see what I'll, what I'll accept. You're going to die. No, I won't die. So, okay, it's better in bed. No, it's not better in bed. So I get downstairs and say, you're, you're going to fall asleep. You're, won't be, you might as well stay in bed. So I get down there. Instead of falling asleep, and the more I go to pray, the more my mind goes. All of a sudden, everything I've got to do, my mind's working like that on everything else but prayer. See, the devil lied to me. My body lied to me. It will lie to you. It will tell you, and your stomach will talk to you. Some of you are having your stomach talk. Mine's talking to me right now, just talking about this. I find that when I start getting ready for a fast, my body starts giving me trouble ahead of time. Because it knows it's coming. Because it's heard me talk about it. So you're talking about your body like it's a third person. It is. You've got to think about your body as if it's almost somebody else. And if you're not in control, you've got to think about what is a spoiled child. And your responsibility is to get it under control. You're, and mine's me. Fasting is your soul asserting dominion over the flesh so that your spirit can have ascendancy. Fasting is your soul, your will, asserting itself over your flesh so that your spirit can have ascendancy. I want to turn now to some of the verses in the Bible that that, that trouble me the most. 
but they're good. It's called the good news, right? Everything in here is good news. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul has just described a little bit of what he's gone through. And we're going to pick up with his discussion in verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. So he's talking about finishing your race and obtaining the prize, the reward for what you're doing. Verse 25. And everyone who competes for a prize is temperate in all things. Now we've just finished the, the Winter Olympics, I think, and we've got the Summer Olympics. It was a couple of years ago and will be coming up again. And the stories they go through of what these people did, especially the ones in the Winter Olympics, they'll get up at amazing hours of the night before they go to work in order to practice, 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 practice. They discipline and control what they eat. Just those of you that are football fans, they marvel at Tom Brady at 40 years of age, the condition he's in. But he doesn't eat Twinkies. He's on a very rigid diet, a very strict diet. I guess I understand he got from his wife who's also on a strict diet. Why? Because he's, the priority to him is how well that body's going to perform when he goes to work. And so because that's a higher priority than the pleasure of eating Twinkies or whatever he wants to eat, he decides to put his body under the discipline that's necessary to achieve the prize. And that's what he's talking about here. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate and controlled in all things. But they do it to obtain a perishable crown, a perishable football trophy or a, a gold, uh, a gold uh, medal. But we an imperish, he's back in a comparison here, they do this for a piece of metal. Back in those days it wasn't even that, it was a wreath, a laurel wreath that we put around their head. And you notice once the, once the season's over and the trophy's been won, everything starts immediately for them because that's over with. It's done. That prize is done. Now you've got to chase after another one. But this is an imperishable crown. So it's what, what they go through to discipline themselves just for a piece of metal, just for a trophy, just for a plaque that's going to fade away. We're in a race. We're competing for a race where there is an imperishable crown that lasts eternally. Verse 26. Therefore I run this. By the way, what he's saying here is, is when they run in a race, only one can win. They're running for... Only one person wins the gold unless it's a group thing. Only one team wins the Lombardi Trophy. Only one. Everybody competes. All these teams compete, but only one of them is going to get it. But they put everything in it not knowing whether they're going to be the one. But he says, you're competing for a prize and everybody can win. Just because just Nick's better at it than, than, than you doesn't mean that you can't win. It's whether you're willing to be temperate in all things. For I run thus, not uncertainly. In other words, I'm purposeful with my life. Big popular book a number of years ago by Rick Warren about the purposeful life, the purpose-driven life. Purpose in your life will change everything. But it's got to be God's purpose. These athletes have a purpose but we have an eternal purpose that has eternal consequences for other people's lives. Souls, eternal souls. And part of the reason for a fast is we're living, we're living every day dealing with eternity and we're, we're, we're dull to it all around us. People we work with that are one breath, one heartbeat away from an eternity separated from God and it doesn't move us. Why? Because we're spiritually dull. I'm getting ahead of myself. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air. When I was younger, I had somebody teach me boxing lessons. One of the things he taught me is the f- fastest way to wear out as a boxer is to keep missing. When you hit, hit them, then you, you, whether you knocked them out or not, when you hit them, you energize yourself. Well, when you swing and miss, he says, but when I'm, I'm like a boxer who knows exactly what he's aiming each punch at. Each punch has a purpose. I was taught the body punches won't knock them out, but the body punches will tire out their rib muscles. And when their rib muscles get tired out, it's hard to breathe. And when it gets hard to breathe, they're not getting as much oxygen and they'll tire out. So even the punches to the ribs, although they won't knock them out, will help prepare for the final knockout punch. Everything's purposeful. 
Everything's aimed. So I don't fight as one who beats the air. Verse 27. But I discipline my body. No one else can discipline my body but me. I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. It doesn't want to be brought into subjection. It, does, it wants to have its way and it's very sneaky and clever. So you've got to be clear on the goal. I bring it into subjection. Now, the word discipline there sounds nice there, but if you look it up in the Greek, I think the King James says, I buffet. Yeah, not buffet. Buffet. Here's what that word actually means in Greek. What the fighters would do was it, because the biggest problem they would have is if they got punched in the face and their face began to swell up, they would have trouble seeing. Remember the movie Rocky? Anybody remember the first movie Rocky? We won't go into what he had to do. But his face swelled up so much he couldn't see to the point, well, I'll tell you, he said, slit my eyelids so I can still see. Because I have to see, otherwise I'm going to get hit and I'm going to get knocked out because I won't see the punch coming. Some of us are getting on the verge of getting knocked out by the devil because we don't see the punches coming. And we're blaming it on natural things and he's just got you like a boxer in the corner at the end and he's going boom and you're going boom like this and boom and you're going like this. And your hands are down and you don't know, you're mad at people because you don't know who's punching you. I discipline. So what they would do is they would take a leather strap and they would embed in it pieces of rocks, pieces, anything hard. And then they would do this to the... They'd hit themselves in the face. They would hit themselves in the face. Why? Because they were toughening up the tissue so that when they got in that ring and the other boxer hit them, they would have calluses here so that they would not... Their flesh would not swell up and they would be able to continue to see clearly. So Paul's saying, I buff, I, I, I'm tough on my body. I keep it under control. And I beat my body. Now you've got to be careful because there's a thing out there called self-flagellation where people whip themselves and beat themselves. But they do that to atone for their sins. Jesus atoned for their sins. You can't atone for your sins. But his purpose wasn't to atone for anything. It was to prepare himself for the battle. For the battle. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. The word actually is, is aromikimos, which means to fail the test. We're talking about winning the prize. I could come to the end. So, so we, I'm not talking about whether you're going to heaven or not. We're talking about runners in a race, fighters fighting for a prize. There's a prize out there. There's crowns of, out there for you. There's a reward for finishing our course and for accomplishing what God's put us here to do. But there's an adversary out there who's fighting us and opposing us. And he works very often through our bodies. We don't take care of our bodies. We get overtired. And we start reacting. It's very easy in the ministry to get so tired out because you're doing God's work. So you don't rest. And then you find yourself reacting to situations instead of responding out of the Spirit. But it's true for everybody. Okay. Say amen or oh me, whichever. <laughs> All right. So, why a church-wide fast? Oh my goodness. Almost all fasting is really personal between you and God. It's for your own personal relationship. But there are times for a corporate fast. There have been times in Israel's history when a fast was called at a time of great need, either because there was a threat from the enemy or to hear what God said. One of the most famous is Second Chronicles chapter 20. You can put those verses up. It happened after this that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and the others with them besides them, the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the king of the southern nation of Judah, a very godly man and a good time for, for Judah at that time. Verse 2. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming from against you from beyond the sea, Syria, where, uh, what's his face, from Tamar is. Verse, 20, verse 3. And Jehoshaphat was afraid. But look what he does when he's afraid. 
He set himself to seek the Lord. Notice it didn't say he called the prayer line. He called four friends. He set himself to hear from God what to do. He set himself. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Verse 4. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And what happened is, while they're doing this, God moved through one of the individuals and He prophesied what they're to do. And it was the battle plan of what they were to do. I'm not going to go into to what that was because I'll get sidetracked. In Jonah chapter 3, uh, I'll just have to be able to say, the people of Nineveh, now it's a long story, Jonah was sent there because Nineveh was the, probably the most evil city on the face of the earth and God was going to destroy Nineveh. So he calls Jonah, a prophet, to go and warn them and say, you know, 40 days, get your things in order because in 40 days you're toast. <laughs> that was, that's a modern translation. But I'm going to fry this place in 40 days so get your affairs in order. And so Jonah said, yes, sir, and got in a boat and went the opposite direction. You know, the story was swallowed by a great fish. And uh, so he eventually ends up in Nineveh. He does what God tells him to do. And what Jonah was afraid of is if he preached this message to them, they'd repent. So what happens is the people of Nineveh believed God, the words, the, the warning, and they proclaimed. So they've been told by God, you've got 40 days and I'm going to destroy you. And these weren't godly people. But they decided to hold a fast so that they could maybe get right before God and He would repent. He would change His mind. And they put on sackcloth and we're not calling for that. And then go on. The king gets into this. The Lord came to the king and he arose from his throne. He laid aside his robe and he covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. And then he's going to go on. We're not going to go there. He, he, he proclaimed a great fast and he prayed. they prayed out loud that perhaps God would hear and would, 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 would change his mind. And God did. That's what made Jonah so... That's what made Jonah so mad. In Acts chapter three, 13, a fast was called to seek direction. They, needed, they, they know they needed leaders. And so they had men gathered, gathered together and they prayed and they were, they were ministering to the Lord. They were worshiping God. And as they fasted, next verse, the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul, that's Paul, for the work to which I've called them. So it, it, it was for, used for d- d- separating out and selecting leaders for wisdom. Fasting's also been used for getting right before God. And that's part of what I sense we need this fast for. So why are we calling a church-wide fast here? First of all, I believe we've gotten spiritually lazy. I believe, and, and even worse, we don't realize it. See, you can think you're someplace and you're not. Just read chapter, I think it's four, three of, uh, of Revelation where Jesus speaks to the church at Laodicea and says, you think you're wealthy, you think you're prosperous, you think you're so spiritual, but here's how I see you. It's a time to find out, God, well, how do you see us? What do you see? What do you want to talk to us about? What do you want to talk to me about personally in my life as a, as a father, as a husband? What do you want to talk to me about? What do you want to talk to us about as a church? And as you saw, in our daily life, you have this situation where your, your, your issues are coming at your life through your body, and, you know, so I, and your body's demanding attention, and, and many, much of it's reasonable and needs to be taken care of. The dishes do have to be done. Life has to go on. God knows that. He put us in a life knowing that. But there's some t- we have to have times when we put some of that aside, and we focus on Him, and get quiet before Him. And we need that now. We become spiritually lazy. I believe there are things that God wants us to see, spiritual things He wants us to see and hear, because we've grown dull of hearing. God spoke to me, and I think I mentioned this to you two weeks ago, because I was finding, I was getting, I was, I was starting to make s- some small mistakes I don't usually make. I'm very, ask the staff, I'm very slow at making decisions, because I don't want to make a wrong decision. And I've made some decisions in the last year that, that I had to go back and correct. And I, re, I was go praying, going back over to the Lord says, because you started listening to others and stopped listening to me. Their advice was good, but you need to listen to me first because you've not, you, you've not been quiet before me. So I started on vacation back in January and I've continued to do that to just, I have an appointment with God. I get up in the morning and many times I wake up earlier and I get excited to get out of bed because I'll have more time for my appointment with Him. And I just listen. I listen to some worship music. 
I'll meditate, I'll talk to him, but I get quiet. And for me, that's the best time of day because once I get into my day, my mind's running this way and that way. But at that time, and I can hear more clearly, and God's begun to speak some things to me that I couldn't have heard before. So it's a time to listen. There are times where, the times we're in are very critical, spiritually as well as every other way. And we need to hear what God's saying to us. Remember this example. Nick was, was the spirit. He has the answers. God has the answers. He's ready to answer, but we're not in a position to hear. And we become so controlled by our flesh, so used to having to satisfy our flesh. And I'm not talking about sin. I mean, I'm assuming if there's sin, you'll repent of that. I'm talking about good, you know, things that's not wrong to eat, things that's not wrong to watch, those things. But we get so saturated with those things. So saturated with those things, we become dull, we can't hear what God's trying to say to us. Maybe you're hearing, but there's more God wants to speak to you. More things. Again, we're not moved by what's a, go, things that move God's heart. Why? Why aren't our hearts breaking over that? We're not going to call a full fast. And the reason we're not going to call a full fast is I don't think we're ready to do that. I think we need something short of that, which is why we're doing what we're doing. Because if we called a week-long regular fast, most of us wouldn't do it and we feel guilty. But this is doable. You're basically missing lunch, and you will survive. You're, and what will happen is, you'll begin to find out how much you're ruled by your body. You say no to it, you'll find out how sneaky your body is. You'll begin to detect the voice of your body and realize you've been hearing from your body much more than you thought you were. It'll lie to you. It'll tell you you're going to die. It'll tell you all kinds of things. It'll say all kinds of things. Well, I got an appointment with somebody. What am I going to do? Then you don't have to eat. Let them eat. I remember one time I bought somebody's lunch and I didn't eat. Haven't done it often, but I did it. (laughs) All right. Everybody still okay? All right. Praise the Lord. Okay. And why are we focused on this fast? What are we to do during this fast? It's a time to put God first, above what you normally would give your attention to. Say, well, I work all day. Well, whatever you would take time for lunch, take that to pray. Get aside somewhere. If you've got to sit in your car, go into the restroom, whatever. That's what I would do. When I was practicing law, I would find a place I could go, and I could get quiet, just God and me. And I would just let go of the things of the day and say, God... And you may not hear anything, but the effort to do it will begin to open up your heart. The effort to do it will begin to open up your heart. Again, we're not going to eat food from not 6 to 6. During this, it's a time to pray. Whenever you can, set aside time to pray. And it doesn't have to be get on your knees. You can be doing it in the car. It's to focus on God and not on, well, I don't know what we're going to do about this. I don't know how our plan, where's our, our vacation is going to be. No, put that all out for that week and say, I'm going to use that time. And you'll find that may be hard to do, but keep at it. Yeah. Keep at it. Keep at it. We're going to have the church open during the normal work hours so you can come in here and be quiet. It's a wonderful place to come in and be quiet. And Friday, some of you will be out of work because it's Good Friday. Shut out as much of the world as you can. The TV, the news, it'll, they'll get along without you. For some of you, it may be TV you need to shut off. The idea is not to, listen carefully, the idea is not to focus on what you can't do. I can't eat, I can't do this, I can't do this. But the idea is to focus on what you're going to get out of it. A closer sense of God. A better ability to hear from God. And think about what that might mean to you. To know, to be able to hear the still small voice in the morning. To be able to sense God's presence like you may not have sensed it before. Just to have that closeness with God. Focus on what's going to come out of this, not what you're going to lose. And you're going to pick it up again on Saturday. Practical suggestions. We'll end with these. Warnings. If you've got any medical situation and you would know if you do like diabetes or a heart condition, don't fast food. Fast something else. Something else that's meaningful to you. I mean, use common sense. But you can find something that gives you pleasure, that's not endangering to put a wall. Don't 
I have my notes, don't gore. Uh, don't gorge yourself at 5.30 in the morning and then at 6.05 in the evening. That's going to make it harder. Sometimes before building, beginning of flesh, people just gorge themselves. Now your body... See, what you, you... Oh boy. You control what your appetite desires. The more you eat, the more your body's going to expect to eat. So if you start eating a lot the week before, that's this week, your body's going to say, Whoa, this is great stuff! I'm ready Monday morning! What happened? So I gradually prepare for it. And I, when I get up on a morning, I'm fat, I talk to my body. I do. You talk to everything else. It talks to you. I said, you're not eating today. And you'll live. So I don't want to hear this malarkey from you, this stuff from you that I'm, you're going to die. I'm in control. You're not in control. And we're not eating. I'm not putting food in my mouth for, from 6 o'clock to 6 o'clock. So you be quiet. At 6 o'clock you can talk to me. But from now, I in control. I, I do that. And it really makes a difference. Makes it much harder. Remember, the goal is to get as close to God to fast as you can. And you may feel faint. Probably this kind of fast you won't. In, in a real fast, you fart, you know, your, your, bo- your, your breath will start to smell. You'll feel tired because you're getting the toxins out of your body. And it's your body's normal process. Oh, by the way, I don't have time to get into this morning, but there's some real health benefits to fasting. You can go online and see all kinds of good things. People that aren't spiritual at all that fast just for health reasons. So it shows you how unhealthy we are because we gorge ourselves. Drink water. Drink plenty of water. The right outlook will help you to get in most of it. Okay, and the Holy Spirit will help you. I look to Him to help me and strengthen me. Right now I want to take a moment and I want us to get quiet. And I want us just to kind of listen inside to what God is saying to us out of this. Father, we're expecting you to speak to us now. We're coming as a congregation. We're coming, Lord, and for many of us this may not be, difficult, may not be easy. For some of us it may be very easy because we do it a lot. And Father, forgive us because so many of us have been lazy and, and we've not done this lately. But we come to prepare to do this. So we're asking you now, Father, to begin to speak to us, encourage us, show us that what it is that you would have us do. Because we want to serve you. We want to hear you. We want to know your presence and your closeness with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father.